Good morning. How are we doing? It's always so fun to be at ANC on a Sunday morning. Uh, I wouldn't take any other place in America or beyond on a Sunday morning than ANC. You feel that same way? I hope you do. I hope you do, because you're here anyway. It's great to be here. You might as well make the most of it. You know, I think Lamar was channeling Sting this morning. Did you guys notice that? Are you guys married to somebody who, when you get home, they say, hey, he plays the guitar. It's a bass. She always calls the bass. Sorry. Is she in here? Is, is my wife in here? She's like, hey, that, that guitar player, it's, they're all guitars to my wife. That was clearly a bass, and white guys playing bass and singing. That's Sting, right? <laughs> Somebody named another white guy who played bass, led with bass, fronted the band. Thank you. But Paul McCartney now looks like the queen, so he doesn't look anything like, you notice that? All that, now he looks, Lamar looks more like Sting, right, Lamar? Am I in trouble? Tell me you didn't think that when you saw Paul McCartney at the last Olympics sing that song. It's like, oh my God, it's the queen. So if you keep pulling, eventually, never mind. Stop. Thank you. My daughter tells me, stop. I'm going to be in trouble later. It's good to have fun. Uh, this week we are here. Next week, if you are new to ANC and you show up here next week, you'll be having a private service, which might be very meaningful for you, but we won't be here next week. Because on the fifth Sundays, we cancel church, and that's a way of saying that we build into our rhythms the importance of moving beyond the institution of church and actually doing the work of the kingdom. And so next week, um, Sunday, at various different places, various different times, we're going to be either feeding the homeless downtown, we're going to be doing a cookout, or I'll be leading a team to the settlement home. I think it'll be our fifth time to the settlement home, something like that. We're building quite a relationship. So if you have not signed up for that, I know it's Memorial Day weekend, so I'm sure there are lots of small animals to kill and roast and smoke and things we do here like that. But um, if you have the time, we are hoping that you will come out and join us. If you are kicking the tires of ANC, hear me clearly, you want to you join us for the grill out. It's where it all started. It's where you can still get your hands around probably the purest DNA strand of who we are as a church, right? Eight years on. If you want to see what we're up to and you're newish and you've never been to one, please make time to come to the cookout. It won't take all day. It's a couple hours downtown. Information about that in the bulletin, so you'll hear more about that later. So I need to tell you something. Uh, I have a new vision for the 15-minute sermon. Thanks to Brandon. And Brandon always says, don't over-promise and under-deliver, so I'm not going to promise, but I'm going to work there. I'm going to try to get there. You with me? All the great orators that I listened to and studied in seminary all pulled off the 11 to 13-minute sermon. I don't know why I'm giving myself a pass to land with a big fat 30, but I hear it from Trey every week, and I'm going to shoot for short, okay? So that's my promise over time. You can't hold me to it instantly, but we're going to move there. So we are trudging through the book of Acts, and if our past is any sign of our future, as John Mayer would say, um, we're going to be here a while, but we're going to jump into Acts 6 today, uh, and don't go there quite yet, because I want to set, set the groundwork first. We're following the happenings of the early church as they're birthed around the message of Jesus, okay? So the message of Jesus finds a target and fertile soil in the hearts of some disciples. And what we're tracking now are the, the, the implications of what happens with that little community when they begin to walk along, okay? So the teaching of Jesus found a target, not a great church growth program because it wasn't an awful lot of people, but it found its target in the heart of some, some, some people, some simple folks, and it begins to move forward. But as you can see in the book of Acts, quickly we are moving into this new stage where growth happens and with growth comes what? Problems. 
Don't say stretch marks. Problems. <laughs> Issues, right? Pain, the pain of growing. We make a huge mistake, and you'll hear me say this a bunch, make a huge mistake if we idolize the early church as if it's the standard that we have to get back to. Because hear me clearly, we would be going backwards in some ways if we were to try to measure up to this early church. Okay, Any particular historic embodiment of the church that you idolize, you're overlooking at least half of what was happening. Are you with me? Okay, so are the Puritans your heroes? Are you serious? I've, I've grown up in, with this all my life. Oh, they, they were, seriously, let's, let's just make some lists here. Okay, are the believers during the time of Paul your idols? Read them again. Read these letters. What is he talking about? He's straightening out the most bizarre things. Is that your idol, for real? What about the church of the 50s when prayer was in school and everything was perfect? Really? You want to go back there? You hear me? Do we want to give up what we've gained and go back? No. So let's, let's, just, let's just, as we look at the book of, of Acts, as we move through Acts, let's just hold some space for the tension of a community growing around a message and learning to walk but not getting it all the way right all the time. Why do we do that? Because that's exactly the same space that we are in today. Okay? It makes sense. It makes sense that right out of the blocks, we see the fabric of this new community begin to fray around the edges. Okay? Trey talked last week about the shared resources. You remember that? Great sermon last week about how they held everything in common, and a couple of people held a few things back, and it got them a little sideways, and they ended up, yeah, it's kind of a weird story. Um, but that was a few chapters ago, because we're fast going to discover in chapter 6 the irony of this little community working its way forward. So we'll pick up the story where tribalism begins to reemerge. Now, I would suggest one of the ways to look at the message of Jesus is that it is absolutely post-tribal in every sense of the word. Every category falls in the message of Jesus. He knocks them all down one at a time intentionally. But as soon as he's off the scene, what begins to crop back up? Tribalism. What do I mean by that? Categories that you and I put things into that says this is perfect, this is not, this is right, this is wrong, this is in, this is out, right? Some of our favorite categories, I'll just pick on a few. Maybe I'm tipping my cards here. These have been part of the past that I'm still trying to regurgitate. Categories of nationalism. You ready? You ready for this? These no longer exist in the new world that Jesus is forging, right? This was a consistent hang-up for the Jewish people. Consistently, they, they got this wrong. They saw themselves, they fancied themselves as the exclusive target of the love of God. And it's not that they weren't, but they weren't exclusive. To fail to see how God was moving among all the peoples of the world through what he deposited in the Jewish people is to be nationalistic with the, with the redemptive overtures of God towards humanity. It's a failure. It happens all the time. It consistently happens. If you misunderstand divine intentions to just think he's doing something in a particular group of people, you've missed the entire thing. And that categorizes a whole bunch of people who have gone before us. Genesis 12 talks very clearly about how God's intention is to bless all the families of the earth through this thing he's doing in the Jewish people. There's no room left for nationalism in the new kingdom. None. Jesus napalms it completely. It's wasted, right? God bless America or God bless the whole world. All right, I'll get off that because I'm going to get in trouble. Categories of nationalism. Track with me. Another category that Jesus intentionally knocks down is this, this is important, this is unimportant. These things matter, these things don't, right? Jesus abolishes these two. Remember his teaching about seating yourself at the head of the table because you think you're the important one? And Jesus says, don't let it be that the master comes in and moves you to the end to put somebody else there. Do you remember what Jesus' response to the children was? It's a no-brainer. Children approach you. You're a rabbi. Get away, all, say all the disciples. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Watch this. 
kingdom upside down. Kids, you come sit right here with me. No, well, they're unimportant. Oh, is that so? In the new kingdom, that's not how it works, right? Categories of important and unimportant are terminated once and for all when Jesus elevates children and he liberates the women. Were you here on Mother's Day? Catch that podcast if you missed it. Third category that occurs to me. So nationalistic categories, right? He's moving here, but he's not moving there in my people, but not in theirs. Well, this matters. This doesn't. This is important. This isn't. Categories of right and wrong. Hang on with me now. There's a seatbelt under your seat there. You want to reach down and grab it. And of course, when I say right and wrong, I'm talking about the right and wrong as currently perceived by my tribe, right? Because I get to decide. You know how that goes. We've created tribes out of who gets it right, and we shun, torture, silence, ignore those who don't get it right according to our tribe. And what's interesting is that these boundaries are fluid. They change over time. We give ourselves the liberty to adjust that. We dial it in. We dial it over here. We drop a little thing here. Oh, we see the world differently. That's, this is now the new right. This is the new way, right? And it's according to our tribe as defined by us. All right, so let's read the words in Acts 6. That's enough of a setup. The choosing of the seven. We have a leadership crisis on our hands, and watch what happens. Acts 6, verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Watch that now. You guys, can you track trajectories? There's a bit of a trajectory adjustment going on here. Now watch what happens. It wouldn't be right for us to, you know, stop preaching the word and wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you, sorry, who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group, right? Interesting. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Also Philip and Hardward, 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 and Hardward from Antioch. That doesn't matter. That would be a bummer if that was like your ancestor. What? You missed my guy, Nicanor? Sounds like a transformer to me anyway. We're all Polly Pockets and princesses in my house. I don't know what transformers are. I've got five daughters. You'll have to forgive me. They presented these men to the disciples who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now hang with me here for a second. Isn't it poetic that the first real internal struggle, the first real internal issue that emerges for the early church breaks perfectly along lines of language and culture? Isn't that amazing? Funny how that works, isn't it? You see, many of the followers of Jesus hadn't quite yet figured out, what are we? Are we Jesus followers? Are we Jews? What are we? The Hellenistic or the Greek Jews or the Greek followers of Jesus say, wait, circumcision? Hashtag, no way. You get it, right? But the Jewish ones say, no, you have to first be a convert to Jesus. So they're figuring this thing out. And interesting how the distribution of food just breaks right along that line, isn't it? A few thoughts. Not exhaustive, just a few. In case you've idolized the way people shared their resources in previous chapter, they're fighting over food now in chapter 6. Another thought. I love how the 12 get together and basically say, hey, this is beneath us. You guys need to hire some subcontractors to get this work done because we're over here doing the kingdom work, right? You get it? Let me just say that this little episode, let's think about trajectories, right? This little episode marks a huge temperature reading for where this community is going to end up eventually. 
This tribe that's post-tribal because of the message of Jesus is quickly becoming a tribe. It's got new categories, but it's got categories nonetheless, you see. Another thought. It's funny how these fellows thought that the way to solve food distribution was to elect a couple of guys to figure it out. Who sees the massive error there? Come on, fellas. Have we learned something? You want to get some food moved around? You're going to get a bunch of guys together? I don't think so, right? doesn't make any sense to me at all. Even after enjoying courtside seats, the ministry of Jesus, these guys, these original apostles and disciples, lay their categories of value of male and female right back over top of the gospel. And which one will fall away eventually? Their category, not the gospel. It will liberate. It will set free. But immediately they do the same thing. Boom. Well, clearly this is a problem that men need to solve. That just, you say, well, you're reading too much there. You think? Think again. Look at it. Last thought here. It strikes me that these men thought that serving tables was so far beneath their dignity, these being the same ones who had their feet washed the night before Jesus hung on a tree. And he says, if you can't get this right, you have no part with me, Peter, leader of the 12 or of the 11 or of the 13 now or of the however many thousand this is. Isn't it amazing? We didn't come to serve tables. What did Jesus say? I came to serve. Trajectory alteration. It's an inch today. It's a thousand miles in a couple of chapters. So with growth problems, we're seeing a, a, the, the community begin to emerge, right? People's needs begin to be overlooked. And the leadership community's response is to hire some subcontractors. Let's get this done some other way. Fascinating. Thus, the baby institution of the church is well on its way to becoming the very antithesis of its DNA by chapter 6. It's a baby, but it's a sharp-toothed, great white baby that will chew up people not long from here. How long does it take a message to break down into just another means of enforcing tribal identity? And this isn't just any message. This is the liberating gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't it funny how fast it happens? Acts bears out what the Pauline epistles will eventually confirm, that our challenge from the very beginning is to see the gospel as the liberating agency that it is that it always has been, that it always will be. Don't get me wrong. We love that liberating gospel feature in our own lives, but when it falls just outside of the line of who we like and dislike, game over. We don't like that gospel. You hear what I'm saying? Am I talking to somebody today, Faith? We say this often around here. If you want to find Jesus, you can find him in the eyes of the poor. I have a thought to add to that. If you want to see the gospel at its finest... Apply that gospel to the very next group of outsiders, to those who are forgotten, to those who are considered unclean, unworthy, undesirable. Apply the gospel to the people who are just beyond your tribal line, the sinners, the outcasts. Shall I stop? You know what happens. You want to see the gospel sparkle? Apply it just beyond where you're taught it fits to those who are just outside of our tribe, and you watch what the gospel will do. That's when the power comes back. Right? Everything that the new church is doing in the book of Acts is wrapped in persecution and wrapped in miracles. You want miracles back? You want the inbreaking, miraculous power of Jesus Christ? Take it where you're told it doesn't belong and watch what it'll do with the hearts of people. It eliminates barriers. It breaks down walls. It destroys categories of value and importance. And those of, of, those of us who have given our lives to, to sort of try to steer this wild-eyed organism called the church are never given the freedom to opt out of waiting tables, y'all. That is never a smart move ministry in terms of ministry. 
The moment we opt out of waiting tables and serving people is the moment institutionalism starts flooding in the basement door. The heart and soul of this new church is to serve the needs of humanity. To misplace that is to become an institution and not a movement. And that's what Acts tells the story of. Here's the bottom line. The book of Acts is going to tell us that the kingdom of God and the church are not always the same thing. True then, true today. Okay? Jesus, in this case, is the great blur of lines. And I know that's not a word, but this isn't Michigan, y'all. We can make up words in Texas. We can call it manshack. We can call it Buda. Go ahead, say Buda to Siri, and she thinks you're being profane. Try, have you tried that? Mr. Morris, that's an inappropriate question. Try it. You're all going to be doing this on the way home. <laughs> we have strategies around creating words. Jesus is the great blur of lines. He blurs these categories. He leaves no category intact, and this is what eventually costs him his life. You see, if you are bored with church, if you are bored with religion, if you are bored with the multi-billion dollar effort to turn good news into a national identity of the world's great superpower, then you are not alone because that is not the gospel. That is not Jesus. You follow me? You might just have a greater love for the message than the messenger, and that's okay. That's actually a really good thing unless... You turn that into your new tribe and begin to construct fences around that. The invitation of Jesus is to let him do the defining. You remember the tares and the wheat? We'll get this. We'll pull up everything that doesn't belong here. Jesus says the problem is is you don't see it and you never will. Jesus is begging us to be the definer of the line. He wants to be able to say who's in and who's out. And what a miracle to realize there is no out in the ministry of this man. The whole world is the legitimate target of the love of God. It's all the apple of his eye. And if that rubs your tribe wrong, drop that fence and follow Jesus. All right, let's wrap this up. I've spent a few hours this week kicking around in John 17. This is where John the Beloved preserves the prayer, the intercession of Christ for us, okay? Right before the arrest in Garden Gethsemane, the other gospel writers basically say there were three sleepy dudes. Jesus yelled at him a couple of times, and then boom, he gets arrested. John preserves this magnificent piece of theology in a form of a prayer that will just, just mess us up. You, we could camp there for the next lifetime and not get to the bottom of it. But here's what's happening, I think, in part. Again, not exhaustively, but here's part of what happening, what's happening. Jesus is blurring the lines between heaven and earth. He's going to definitively, once and for all, in some of these last words, he's going to smudge that line between heaven and earth. Because here's some of his ideas. To glorify the Son is to glorify the Father, right? To know the Son is to know the Father. What belongs to the Father belongs to the Son. No line between heaven and earth. No line between mud and magic. It's all blurred together here, okay? There's no longer any discernible way to distinguish Jesus from his Father in John 17. Now, Easy enough, we get it. We look back through history. We see this is the same thing. This would have been scandalous had they been awake and and heard this. What? You mean the father? How? You're a man. I know your dad. What? This can't be, right? But he doesn't stop there, does he? Next thing you know, this mysterious oneness between Christ and the father is also what exists between this new community of followers in verse 11. Make them one as we are one, Jesus prays. Jesus prays that they would be in us as we are in them, as I am in you. And by the time he's done, there's no discernible difference between man, the Son of God, and God the Father in the earth. It's blurred. It's one big thing, and all are involved. There are only really two kinds of people in the world. Think about this. Those who know how deeply they are loved by God and those who don't know yet. 
There's no other category. There's no other line. There's no other tribe. You with me? What tribal categories do you need to let go of today? Because your happiness is directly connected to your freedom, and your freedom comes right after death. Death to what? To your assumptions and to the faithful and loyal allegiance you pledge to that fence line that marks the difference between you and them. Where is the harmony in your life broken down along lines of cultural identity? Hang with me. Along lines of language, gender, sexual orientation. Where has your life been about the preserving of some line you inherited? Because the harmony and the missing freedom in your life is probably tied to the need for that to die, for you to just give yourself to the flow of the gospel that will not stop inside anybody's territory. This might be deeply upsetting. We're in it. We're in the book of Acts. We're seeing how this is happening. If we are in Christ as he is in the Father, and for him all is being redeemed, repurchased, recovered, reconstituted, then what do we gain by defining the world by categories, putting them in and outside of these little lines that we need to be true or else our world is upset? That's the point. It's the gospel. It's designed to be disturbing. It's designed to move us, to haul us, to hook our hearts and haul us over that line that we thought we crossed that line and we die. No, the gospel is bigger. They fit too. They belong too. They can just as easily receive the revelation of God as we can. Jesus can be such a maddening character, can't he? So frustrating. He won't fight our battles for us and we can't deploy his teachings to build our own kingdoms. It never works. And he won't exclusively inhabit the walls of our institutions. So there's no franchise license that comes with hanging your shingle out that says, I'm about the kingdom. Because the moment you think that this is my little turf, I get the franchise license, something's going to crop up across the street, and you're going to go, what? And Jesus is going to go, mm-hmm, I'm here too. So if life in the economy of the kingdom only comes after death, which we know this is the process, life comes after death, it takes death to create life, then the freedom that you so long for will probably only come after you, you are willing to lay down these categories. I don't know if my journey is anything related to your journey in these days, but this seems to be what the Holy Spirit is asking me to do. That line? Yep, go ahead. Erase that one too. Oh, that thing? Lay that down. Mm-hmm. That definition? I'm the definer. Go ahead and give that back to me. So my question for you today is, what do you need to lay down today to be totally free? Because your fear and anxiety and lack of harmony and, and lack of connection with the world around you and your own, your, your, your attitude towards the world is probably related to your fence line. And what must you do to lay that down? I hope you can do that today.